0: Everything you do is making an impact in this world.
1: This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco conscious lifestyles. What? Like it's hard? Hello! Welcome back to another episode of Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz, and I am so happy to have you here this week. We have had a lot of good episodes lately, not to toot my own horn, but if you're looking for new ones to listen to, last week we spoke with Leah Thomas of Green Girl Leah about intersectional environmentalism, and we've been having more and more conversations about equity in the environmental space the week before last, we spoke with Julia Piper about clean energy and the clean energy transition, and before that, we talked about conscious couture, high fashion, Oscar gowns done in a sustainable manner with red carpet green dress, so all-around awesome guests more and more every day, getting better every day. So if you're new around here, make sure that you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can also leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, helps us out a ton. Today, we're speaking with Rosalie De La Ferre. Rosalie is passionate about helping people explore the world of herbalism and natural connections. I was really excited about this conversation. Rosalie is the education director at Learning Herbs and the author of best selling books Alchemy of Herbs, Transforming Everyday Ingredients into Foods and Remedies That Heal, and Wild Remedies How to Forage Healing Foods and Craft Your Own Herbal Medicine. Wild Remedies is the most recent release, a book that I have been thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying on my own for the last couple of months, and I highly recommend y'all pick it up. If you're interested in all in getting to know your garden a little bit better, I think that's a really common sentiment now that a lot of us are at home and we have a little bit of extra time and it's like, now's the time to start your herb garden. I really enjoyed wild remedies, and my mom also really enjoyed wild remedies, so let me tell you about it. I am not a gardener by any means. I have some hanging plants. I like going to a nursery. I like looking at flowers, but I'm not a gardener, and my mom is really a gardener. Like, she really knows what she's talking about. She goes to a nursery because she has an exact idea in mind of what she's looking for, and she loves to spend time in the garden and get to know her plants, and she just likes to be in the garden, so we're at completely different levels of our outdoor gardening intimacy, if we want to call it that, in our relationships with the outdoors when it comes to gardening. However, we both thoroughly enjoyed Wild Remedies because of the way it's organized. It's a book that is split up in seasons, so every herb is classified by whatever season it is most prevalent in. And then it's also not only a description of the herb, but how to use it. There's certain recipes. There are great ways to help you identify it. So all around a really good book if you are not only a little bit familiar, if you're getting familiar, if you are starting from scratch, if you want to just know how to use your herbs a little bit better and more wisely, this is a great book for anyone at whatever level they are in their gardening intimacy. I was really excited to learn a little bit about herbs and a little bit more about natural remedies to some common ailments, and my mom is also really into it, so it just goes to show whatever level of gardener you are. Rosalie has an answer for you. I think for the same reasons that today's conversation is a really helpful one for wherever you are in your gardener journey. It's a good one for you to pick and choose what you take from it and encourage you to think a little bit deeper, not only about your kitchen herbs, those culinary herbs, but also natural medicine, how to eat more plants. We talk a little bit about phytonutrients and the value of adding more plants and more plant variety to your diet. We get a lot of information into this conversation, so it's a really, really good one. Rosalie is also a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild and is a certified graduate from the East-West School of Herbology. Rosalie was an herbal clinician for six years before dedicating her life to herbal education, which she is sharing a little bit with us today. She teaches a bunch of online courses, including Taste of Herbs, Building Resilience, and Herbal Cold Care. I would also like to say, on a personal note, Rosalie is just a warm person. I really enjoyed this conversation because I felt like I could be honest with her in where I was in my journey and my relationship with herbs, and she has so much knowledge to share. When it comes to thinking more deeply about the herbs that are already in your life, when it comes to Thinking about nature that's already present in your life, it doesn't necessarily have to be somewhere where you go away to. That was one of the points that she brought up, which I appreciated so much. Nature is all around you. Appreciate the little things that come up through the sidewalk and appreciate the little interactions that you see between birds and plants in your backyard. I just really enjoyed speaking with her and I hope that you guys really enjoy this conversation and take a little bit out of it wherever you are in your relationship with your garden, with your herbs, with your kitchen herbs all around, it's a really good one. If you'd like to get in touch, the easiest way to get in touch with me is on Instagram. We are at Eco Chic Podcast, and that's really where I primarily live. My personal page is also always linked in the show notes, and we're also on Facebook. On Twitter is my personal one, at Laura E. Diaz. and you can also get in touch with me via email if you are so inclined. My email is always in the show notes as well. Quick housekeeping, I wanted to note, we do have a shop that supports the show just in our back-end financial side of things, totallyecochic.com. If this show has brought you value in any capacity in the past, I would really appreciate if you check out this shop. It helps us out just keep everything running, and 50% of the profits this month of June will be going to various bail bond organizations for protesters nationwide in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. So TotallyEcoChic.com will be linked in the show notes as well. And like I said earlier, rate, review, subscribe. It helps us out a lot. With that, I'm excited for y'all to listen in on this conversation with Rosalie De La Foray, herbalist, author, all-around natural wonder woman, we are talking about kitchen herbs, natural medicine, and how to eat more plants. Hope you enjoy. Rosalie, I would love to just open up our conversation, jumping right in. I'd love to hear about where you got started with your relationship with nature. Just how did you get into gardening? how did you get into herbs? Like, where did it all really begin?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I actually think... My path started in college long before I was necessarily interested in nature or being outdoors. I often joke that in college, I what minored in activism. And that's really like, when I think about my years at college, that was what I did. And I took part in a lot of demonstrations, a lot of protests, and it was really powerful work and inspiring work. And, you know, my eyes were just constantly being opened to Um, the issues that were going on. And I was in Portland, Oregon at the time, and it was kind of, you know, regional issues as well as these greater issues. And, um, so I really, I loved that work and I believed in it. And over time I began to get really worn out from it. I started to get kind of uh, disillusioned a bit. And I definitely want to say that I feel very strongly about, um, protesting and civil disobedience. And I know that those are really powerful things, but for me as a way of life, like basically I was, you know, going to several protests a week and, um, and I just, yeah, I just got so worn out. And I remember one time in particular, I was like literally on a street corner in downtown Portland handing out flyers about sweatshops in front of a gap store. Nobody cared, you know, like people just walked by and I was obviously a nuisance and nobody, Um, you know, nobody wanted to listen. Nobody cared about it. And I just remember thinking to myself at that time, like, Oh, this is like, I'm not getting through. This is not effective in this, you know, specific capacity. There has to be another way. And, and I began searching for like, what other ways, um, to really reach people. And I, through that journey got led to an outdoor program and like an outdoor living primitive skills program. And that was so transformative for me because I went from I've mostly grown up in in cities, small cities, but and um, my family had gone camping. And so I wasn't like I was totally new to being outdoors, but this was a whole, you know, totally different way of looking at things. And and I went from being able, like, I was such a newbie, Laura. I was like, when the first plants I learned were plants that were everywhere, but like, I couldn't have told you their names. And I went from seeing like this wall of green and just kind of this thing that was like out there to really beginning to see the specifics and beginning to recognize plants, recognize animals, see the interconnection there. And my whole viewpoint changed. And also that sense of connection to the land I was living on was really transformative. And I pretty early on recognized that like, oh, that is so much of what I was missing before, is that trying to get people to be interested in something that is seemingly irrelevant to their life, you know, especially when we all have our, our busy lives and, and things going on with them, that like somebody standing on a street corner talking about something that just is not really relevant to their lives was not making an impact, but helping people to form that connection with nature, to visit and, you know, every, to visit just the world and to see things with new eyes, to recognize interdependence and connection, that can be a better place to really have a way to discuss these important issues and make them relevant to people's lives. So that's kind of the roundabout way of it for me.
1: Wow. No, I love that so much because I feel very similarly sometimes with the climate change conversation. I feel like I'm shouting into a void and no one's listening to me. And while that's not necessarily true, it's very easy to think standing on a street corner, you're just like, wow, like here I am by myself, no one's paying attention. And I absolutely 100% completely understand what what you're saying there and that experience that you had. I came into my relationship with nature. I always thought that I was very environmentally savvy, but I grew up in a big city. Just having that experience of truly being out there and knowing what you're looking at and being able to name plants and animals, and it just deepens your understanding of interconnection so, so much. It's a really interesting mental switch. Mm-hmm. I would love to talk to you a little bit actually about foraging while we're talking about being outside, when we're talking about identifying plants. Foraging is a topic that I'm always a little nervous about because I feel like you have to be so certain in what it is that you're looking for and what you're picking. And I'd love to talk to you a little bit about just foraging in general.
0: Yeah. It's a topic that I can be nervous about too, for those same reasons actually. <laughs> and um when Emily and I decided to write our book together, that was actually, I mean, we really thought about it. We were not the foragers, the kind of in-your-face foraging and we're more cautious about it. And so I can definitely understand that hesitancy. And but I think really it's like that hesitancy and how big of an impact foraging can be is what makes it also so impactful. And for me, just to go out and like find a plant and chop it down and harvest it and do something with it, is not as rewarding as like, we've been talking about that connection and to visit the same spaces, to really develop relationship with plants and get to know them on deeper levels. I actually, I often think of getting to know plants as really like getting to know people. It's like the first time you meet someone, you get to know them on kind of a superficial level. You get to know their name and maybe their first and last name and maybe hear a little bit about them where they're from, what their family might be like, um, maybe what they do for a living or what they do for fun. You kind of get to know those things, but it's when you keep showing up time and time again and spending more time that you get to know people on a much more deeper level. And the same with plants. So when it comes to foraging, I think the first step really is that connection and relationship to the plants themselves. And that there's no fast forward button on that. It really does take just showing up and getting to know the plant and spending time with it. And it's really fun. Just like getting to know people is really fun. Getting to know plants is really fun and getting to see the intricate ways that they interact with their environments and the many gifts that they offer. And I know when I first started foraging, it was not uncommon for me to say something like, ooh, what's that plant and what is it good for? And I said that and I hear people say it all the time now, but there, there is like it within me a little bit of cringing now. When you meet somebody, you don't want to be like, Hey, Laura. Who are you, and what can you do for me? I <laughs> mean, when you meet people like that, because there are certainly people like that. There is that like ooh <laughs> feeling to that, yeah. you know, just somebody out to like use you. And um, same goes with the plants. You know, it's like showing up and saying like, who is this plant, and what gifts do they have? And so often, the gifts that they have aren't just for us by any means. And um, like just to speak in practical terms. I think of a plant like dandelion, one of my very favorite plants, and how many gifts it offers to the world around it. You know, it has this really deep taproot that goes down into the earth, um, many inches deep, up to a foot even, and brings up all these essential nutrients and minerals um, up through its roots into its leaves, and then redistributes those essential nutrients into the ground around it. So that's a really a powerful thing that dandelion does. Also wonderful for pollinators. Pollinators love the generous blooms and, and all they have to offer. So, you know, that's kind of getting to know that. And so many people look at dandelion and think, oh, that's a weed. Oh, I better go get my Roundup. You know, that's the, that's the relationship there. And when you begin to forage and, and see the gifts that are there, you can see this beautiful plant with a beautiful flower and food and medicine, which we could talk about, but that has extensive food and medicine, but also get to see it within its landscape and all the way that's, that it's contributing um, to the beauty around it and the the pollinators, the microbes, all of it. So that those different layers of connection and relationship is something that just brings me so much joy and makes the world around me just a, a magical place to be in.
1: I love that example of dandelion because I think about it as a weed, but I also think about it as a pollinator friendly flora. Mm-hmm. And I also always get surprised with dandelion greens as a salad ingredient. Wild connection for myself, I guess this isn't actually a great story. It's just like a, I ate a salad once that had dandelion greens and I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But so I ate a salad once that had dandelion greens, I really enjoyed it. And then I started seeing dandelion greens in a bunch at my grocery store. For some reason, it took me a minute to make the connection that dandelion greens actually come from dandelion. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, it was just just a foreign concept that had to be linked up in my brain. And it's interesting to think that these things that are in our yards, essentially, or things that maybe we're brushing off as just part of the outdoors, quote unquote, can be used in so many different ways. And even if you are new to getting to know plants, I think I mentioned to you before we started recording, I am by no means like a botanist by any stretch of the imagination. But it was just so interesting to start thinking about ways that you can rethink certain plants that are already in your life. Going
0: back to that salad that you were like, this is not like a big deal, but... <laughs> I actually feel that that is a big deal. Um, and I think of dandelion specifically, but you could use you know, any herb that you know, catches someone's attention for the first time. But I think of dandelion as like a gateway herb. And it's a way to like just exactly what you described to kind of get people to pay attention and think about the plants that grow around them in a slightly different way. And so I, one of my favorite things with dandelion greens is to make a pesto out of them. And you make it with like the tender spring green leaves and the pesto is, it, you know, it's very different. It has a slight bitter taste, but um, I often put lemon juice, add had the citrus. Anyway, it's very tasty and tastes very different than what you would expect you normally have in your pesto. And I love to bring that to potlucks. And so I bring it to potlucks and label it, and it gets people curious, and it often sparks conversations about dandelion pesto. Oh, I didn't know you mean the thing that's growing in my lawn I can use that as food. And one of my biggest like ways I think that we can really make impacts as individuals is our use of herbicides like Roundup. I cannot remember the exact number, but it's an astounding number of how many. Pounds, like millions of pounds of Roundup, is sprayed in people's lawns every year simply to kill dandelion. And, you know, it's just this thing that we've been fed about the perfect lawn and how it should look and how dandelions are somehow bad, which I don't really get because they do have like the prettiest flowers. And when they bloom in the springtime, it's so gorgeous. And then if you wait, those flowers turn into seed pods that give you free wishes. I mean, this plant just gives and gives and gives <laughs> to us. Um, And so if, you know, if if we woke up tomorrow and people stopped spraying Roundup to kill dandelions, that would be a huge environmental impact. You know, that Roundup seeps into our waterways. It affects the pollinators. It can affect young children, pets, everything. So that's like, I love that a salad, dandelion green salad can begin to change people's perspectives and, um, and, you know, get that in. So that's kind of like when you ask like how do people get started in it? Sometimes it's just that really simple thing of trying something and enjoying it, whether it's food or medicine. Talk about medicine, which to me, food and medicine are very closely related. Mm -hmm. But if you talk more specifically about medicine, it's often that simple thing that works that can just change your perspective. My own story is that when I was in wilderness school after college, I got diagnosed with a very rare autoimmune disease. And I was told that there was just nothing could be done about it and um, that it would just i would have a declining quality of life and i would die before i was 40 from the disease and i was you know pretty much given a brochure and told good luck there's nothing we can do after that i started to go see all these you know kind of so-called alternative health practitioners and i Started taking herbs and I got better, and that just transformed my worldview. I had no idea before that, you know, that like herbs could make a difference, especially for complex chronic diseases. So I had a very dramatic entryway into learning about herbs as medicine, and definitely one that has forever shaped my worldview. But I find more often and, you know, just as powerful as somebody using a plantain leaf for a bee sting and watching the swelling immediately going away and being like, whoa, that was quick. That was effective. That was safe. That was easy. Wow. What else works? <laughs> um, so there's so many things around us that really work as food as medicine. And to hear someone talk about it is very different than experiencing it yourself. I mean, if somebody had told me prior to my autoimmune disease that I would begin to rely on herbs as a main form of medicine, I would have thought, you know, I would not have recognized that as being a sane path for sure. (laughs) But I changed because what I saw, you know, I I experienced it myself. So I think that is a good place to start is just the one simple thing that can make a difference for people.
1: Absolutely. I feel like having that kind of dramatic experience must really shake a lot of people. I mean, even if it is a plantain leaf on a bee sting, or very often the one that comes to mind is lavender. I feel like lavender is the mainstream herb in creams and lotions and this relaxer. I feel like lavender is an herb that's very respected as an aromatherapy. I think it's interesting to see something like lavender that's kind of mass marketed in a sense, so well accepted. And then there are other forms of plant medicine that are a little touted. People are more skeptical about them. Uh, So it's definitely interesting to think that once you do have that first experience, it could definitely be a shift and it's not something that has to be like beautifully packaged at a bath store to really make a difference.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes like kind of like you said, you were at a restaurant, you had the dandelion salad and then you saw it at the store. It's all kind of cracking open of awareness. Then like making that jump to like, oh, and then I can harvest that because it's growing all around me. Um, Like, you know, same thing with lavender. It's, whether it's packaged and maybe that's an entryway and then it becomes something that people can grow themselves and experience themselves as well. Absolutely. I think that's a really cool idea. I would love
1: to talk a little bit about how you could start to incorporate herbs into your life. If I am just a girl at home, still self-isolating, and I'm like, today's the day I'm starting my herb garden at home, Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear a little bit about easy ways to just get more familiar with herbs, start utilizing them in cooking, start thinking a little bit more deeply about relationships with herbs. If you are talking to someone who's just starting out, where do you kind of point them?
0: Well, I think our spice cabinet is a great place to get started. And I am a huge fan of kitchen medicine. And I feel like it's often overlooked because it's not as sexy as like an exotic herb or, um, and it's, you know, something that we're already somewhat familiar with, but there is so much, um, so many benefits from just what's already in our spice cabinet. And that can even, I think, well, I'll just speak for myself. Growing up, we certainly had a spice cabinet and we did not really change out those herbs very often. And we use them in small amounts. They'd be like, we make spaghetti and then we'd take some oregano and put like a teaspoon of oregano in the spaghetti. That was kind of like what I did for herbs growing up. And now I have a different approach, which is to get the highest quality herbs I can find and to use them abundantly. And my husband and I, we have this little game that we'll play of how many phytonutrients are in our meal. And by which we mean how many different sources of plants did we get into our meal? And we know we've done a good job when we've got like 20. And so that can count as like the vegetables, um, but, but also very much the herbs and spices that go, go into the meal. And so many different kinds of cooking around the world incorporate herbs into meals so beautifully, just making them this kind of complex work of culinary art. And so studying... We're just using recipes um, like we often cook off of Indian-based recipes, Persian recipes. Uh, my dad lives in the Yucatan, so i will use Yucatan-based recipes and using those as a, a starting off place of understanding like how much herbs we can actually get into our meals and how important that is. And maybe I should even just back up and talk about phytonutrients. When we talk about food as medicine or just talk about food in general, we often talk about things like macro and micronutrients. So we talk about like carbs and fats and proteins or we talk about vitamins and minerals. So we'll say, you know, this is high in beta carotene or, you know, has lots of calcium in it. And so those are all, you know, constituents and benefits of the foods we eat. Phytonutrients are things like um, flavonoids and other um, constituents within the plants that have not previously been recognized in Western culture until just in the past couple of decades. But these are often secondary metabolites of plants, and they're often used as part of the plant's ability to kind of fight off disease or um, help to ward off you know, something that might be eating its leaves, et cetera, but these secondary metabolites or these phytonutrients are often really beneficial when we eat them. And so in this situation, like we're often talk about like how many, you know, how much protein we should get a day or how much calcium we should get in a day. And with phytonutrients, it's not always the amount that we get, but the diversity that we get. And that's why having like 20 different sources of phytonutrients in a meal is a really cool way to go because it's not necessarily about getting like a whole bunch of one thing, but instead is getting this wide range of phytonutrients. And I think about that as like, you know, walking in a trail, if you walk the same trail over and over again, you kind of get this rutted pathway that's the same thing over and over again. And if we eat the same foods over and over again, that's what it can be with metabolic pathways in our bodies. But when we eat a wide range of phytonutrients, it's very exciting to our inner cells as they get to experience all these different constituents that have you know, all these different benefits that I'm sure we can't even possibly begin to imagine. There's a new, more and more research being done to this. And even if we have a you know, so-called healthy diet, but it's limited in the amount of fruits and vegetables that we're eating, that that is very limiting for our own health. And that by not getting a wide range of phytonutrients, we're actually causing disease. And so the idea is plant diversity deficiency uh, in the sense that what's causing a lot of our everyday common illnesses that we're seeing today is simply the fact that we aren't getting a wide range of phytonutrients like our ancestors were much more adept at doing. I feel like I've just kind of spiraled off into this tangent, Laura, of phytonutrients. Yeah. But yeah, so getting started with spices and or herbs and spices. Yeah, the kitchen is the best way to do it. And just getting a lot in there and, you know, cycling out your herbs, making sure they're potent and and fresh and using lots of them in cooking. And then, of course, the side effect of this is that you get really delicious meals. So <laughs> there's kind of a win-win-win yeah. on that one. <laughs> No,
1: that's awesome. I was really interested in hearing about phytonutrient deficiency actually and how we're seeing more and more people realizing that variety is so important for your health. And I think it's also a great tip for a lot of people who are interested in having a more sustainable quote unquote diet is just eating in season and eating locally. And when you're eating in season, you're inherently eating different things throughout the year. That's just how it works. So I think the idea of variety and making sure that you're packing your plate with as as much color and just as many different things as you can, that makes a lot of sense with with what you're presenting. And it makes sense that you would want to incorporate as many herbs and just different plants as possible. I think I'll definitely be playing that phytonutrient game Mm -hmm. at dinner with myself. It sounds like a really good way to just make it fun and make it a challenge. And make it seem like a lot less of a task to say, am
0: I feeding myself very well today? And it really is eye-opening when, I, when we first started playing that game. Um, it's that, you know, it'd be like, oh, we got five in this meal. And realizing like, wow, that's not very much comparatively to cultures around the world. And how can we increase that? And it's a fun thing to, to be able to bring in so many different sources. And I definitely agree eating in season is so great. And so we do have, you know, we eat mostly from the garden. So we see that kind of waxing and waning of things, but there's still kind of like this base of food that we, you know, there's tomatoes, there's brassicas, like kale, potatoes, peppers. There's still a limitation there just compared to say hunters and gatherers where depending on where they lived in the world, there's some estimates they would eat up to 800 different kinds of plant sourced food throughout the year. We come nowhere near that with most of our you know, main vegetable crops, but by adding herbs and spices into it, we can definitely up that game a lot, uh, very easily too. Wow.
1: 800 is a crazy amount of plant sources, I have to imagine. I guess I'm also curious to know, for someone who's just interested in starting out with herbs and spices and challenging yourself a little bit in the kitchen and using your spice cabinet... I would love to hear a little bit about starting off with herbs that we may be familiar with that we're not maybe using to their full extent. So when I think of an herb garden or like a windowsill herb box, I think of things just like basil, rosemary, thyme, oregano, and just those kind of kitchen herbs. I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe how we can expand our relationship with those more quote unquote like basic herbs. Mm-hmm. and just what that really looks like if you're trying to go a little bit above and beyond maybe you've started with that window box how can we do better
0: those are some of my favorite herbs to use and to talk about because as we said it's what people are familiar with they're easy they're accessible and they are our culinary herbs so they are often quite tasty and let's choose one let's go with thyme thyme Again, something that can be easily dismissed. It's just something that kind of sits in the jar in the cabinet. But it's such an amazing spice. First of all, it's quite spicy. If you ate a piece of a raw thyme leaf or had a strong tea from dried thyme, it really is quite spicy. Sometimes I've heard it called like the cayenne of the north. Like, I've seen it growing on the seaside and cliffs in Ireland. So it can go quite northernly. but it does have so much heat to it. And that heat is really important. When we have things that are spicy, it helps to rev up our metabolism. It gets our digestive system going. If we feel cold a lot of the time, or it just happens to be a colder time of year, then having things that are spicy in our meals can just help us warm us up from the inside. So it has that benefit. But thyme is one of those ones that's just like, it does so many things. One, it's strongly antimicrobial. And so it's used to address all sorts of infections, both topically and internally. It's really wonderful for coughs. And it's used both for when there's congestion in the lungs. So you feel like you have lots of like stuck mucus in the lungs. You can't get it out. Time is a great way to get it out. And it's also used for spasmodic coughs, which is when you, know, you have that like coughing sensation, and it's difficult to stop and it can be very dry and irritating. It's interesting with time because like I mentioned, it's spicy. So you can really just feel it work. And if you've ever had like a spicy soup of any kind of flavor and you eat the spicy soup or spicy food and you feel your sinuses start to run That's, you know, essentially that action, it's it's an herbal action that we herbalists love to talk about, a stimulating expectorant, but it's basically helping to thin mucus and get things out of your body. And thyme does that really well. It's also slightly numbing and is wonderful for sore throats. And so I love it for a tea, for all of these things. You drink a ton of the tea to really get it into the lungs, which is kind of an interesting thing to think about because obviously when we drink tea, it doesn't go to our lungs, hopefully not. Um, but it has these volatile oils that's kind of the volatile oils are a bit irritating to our bodies. And so our bodies will like try to get rid of it and they'll actually pump it out through the lungs. And when you drink a lot of thyme tea, you can just feel like your body is emanating thyme flavor. Um, but when you get to that level, it can really help saturate the lungs, get things moving throughout your body. So time is really great for that. I also love it as infused into honey, And that can be a nice way to soothe a sore throat. Another favorite way to have it is to take time and fill a jar, like fresh thyme. You fill a jar, say half full with thyme or maybe a third full with dried thyme. And then you fill the jar with a third to a half of honey and then the rest of the way with apple cider vinegar. And then you put a non-metal lid on that, give it a shake, let that sit for a couple weeks and then strain that off. And so you end up with this, liquid that's made up of vinegar and honey that's been extracting um, all of these wonderful qualities of thyme. And that is a really delicious medicine uh, that is, again, great for sore throats, great for lung congestion, great for sinus congestion, can help with digestion as well, just getting things moving Uh, I like adding it to sparkling water and it's just a really delicious drink when you add it to sparkling water. So yeah, thyme, you could just go on and on. And then of course, cooking with thyme adds all those benefits. Another thing about thyme and then many of these other culinary spices, all of them really powerfully modulate inflammation. And inflammation is something, especially chronic inflammation that we're becoming increasingly aware of and how it plays an underlying role in many chronic illnesses. And so that question again becomes like, you know, what's causing this chronic inflammation? Why are we, why do we have that? And of course, there's no one reason by any means, but one, one reason could be that we are missing out on foods that regularly help to modulate the inflammation in our bodies. And time is a really powerful way to do that as well. So man, we could, we could go on and on about time. <laughs> it's one Whoa. for sure.
1: <laughs> Wow. I would have never thought about time as so healing for the throat. And maybe that's just me being unaware. Time is one that I just kind of add on top because I have it and I don't think too deeply about it, which is sad now that I know all of this because I'm definitely going to be doing that honey apple cider vinegar infusion. I love adding things to sparkling water and making my sparkling water interesting. That's like my four o'clock treat to myself is always like a flavored sparkling water.
0: Same I- way, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the same that like the four o'clock slot too, especially mm-hmm. when it's hot out. That is so perfect.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that sounds awesome. And I'm also glad that you brought up honey because when we think about Natural remedies for the throat. My immediate thought is always honey. When we talk about pollinators and herbs and relationships with the natural environment around us, I think that honey is a great gauge for that because it's very easy for people to now start thinking more consciously about buying local honey and supporting their beekeepers and this movement around save the bees and buy local honey. And honey is also a great way for people with allergies to help combat them a bit if they are buying honey that's been locally pollinated so I have to imagine that that kind of fits into the herbal conversation as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's never that one thing but all, everything that we get to put together and I do love that um, I actually buy apple cider vinegar I go through so much of it but you could actually make that yourself too but you know, when I make those preparations the thyme honey or thyme apple cider uh, honey it's like so much of those are just directly from the land that is around me and so I really love that
1: I think that's really cool. And I would love to kind of close out the conversation with any tips you have as us beginner gardeners, as us beginner botanists start thinking more deeply about our relationships with herbs. We've talked a lot about kitchen relationships and spice cabinets. Do you have any wild card suggestions for
0: listeners who may be just starting off with their relationship with herbs? Absolutely. Yeah, um, I love kitchen medicine. I love growing my herbs and these days I've been really especially enthusiastic about inspiring people to get to know their local plants, whether those are local native plants or their um, plants like weeds that grow ubiquitously around them. So my first suggestion would be just to get outside, if you can, and see what you see. And so often there's something that like catches our eye for whatever reason, like how you said, like, suddenly I saw dandelions everywhere. It was like with me, when I first learned plantain, uh, which is a weed that grows close to the ground, is very common um, all over North America. And when I first learned that, suddenly I just saw it everywhere. And I had all these opportunities <laughs> to get to know it better. So starting with what inspires you, what jumps out at you, what's grabbing your attention. And that could be like literally what's grabbing your attention or it could be more methodical, like choosing a plant to look at. But so I think the, so much of the rewards come from like getting to know a plant at a time and just getting to know it well. So that's one way to start. It could also be finding plants that have benefits for things that you're interested in. Like, For example, if you have a lot of seasonal allergies then you might look to nettle, stinging nettle, which is commonly used for that. Or if you have issues with the lungs, you might look for something like mullein, another common weed that has a lot of benefits for the lungs. So whatever whatever inspires you, whether it's in the kitchen or outside, just finding something and just sinking into it and spending time with those plants if possible, reading about them. I know a lot of us don't have as much access to getting outdoors right now or might have limited time out there. So that is definitely a challenge. Another thing I really want to accentuate is that getting to know the outside world or getting to know nature. Too often, it's so easy to think of nature or wilderness as this like thing that's far away from cities or far away from us. But one practice I love to recommend is looking for nature in unexpected places, and especially in urban centers. And that could be seeing the dandelions coming up through the cracks of sidewalks, seeing who's visiting that dandelion, paying attention there. It could be simply watching crows land in the trees. Obviously for me, I'm definitely a fan of the plants, but I also love to see the interconnectedness of all things. Who's visiting? How is this affecting that thing? And just being present with all of that is so joyful, so rewarding. So any way that that can be done, whether you know it's sitting in your front lawn, sitting on your porch stoop, going to a park whatever is possible in that realm. Uh, There's so many rewards out there just to kind of put on a level of awareness and then also curiosity and to just follow that curiosity. I'm often, you know, I wonder what that bird is. I wonder what it's eating. I wonder what that plant is. I wonder what's foraging on this plant Um, and just going with curiosity in that regards. And for those of us who are really finding it challenging to get outside right now, I definitely feel like documentaries, videos, books, those are all a great way to just kind of open our eyes to what might be out there. And so starting with those while we're inside and getting information from them, and then again, being able to like go outside and apply it there and then take that new knowledge and and see it in action is also just incredibly rewarding. So yeah, there's lots of ways. And it really is like once you put your awareness on there, then the world opens up and you can just keep following it further and further as your curiosity deepens alongside it. I love
1: that. I love the idea of looking at what you already have and not necessarily just striving to be more outdoors or out in the wilderness or whatever it may be and looking at what you have and just saying, how can I be more curious and more intimately familiar with the nature that's already present around me. I really like that.
0: Yeah, it really, you know, lately I've had a lot of anxiety and watching all these current events unfold, especially in the pandemic and not you know living in uncertain times. And I ultimately am an optimist and I believe that there's a lot of hopeful times out there, but sometimes I have to dig deep to find that. And it's being outside that has been such soothing to my soul, helps me just to release my intent shoulders and see the beauty there, watch the seasons unfurl and, and be out there and just recognizing how beautiful nature is, how abundant it is. And having that connection too is also what rewards me in times of like remembering what it is that I'm showing up for every day in terms of making this world a better place. It really is that connection that, that's able to keep me going. And that's just to bring it all the way back to the beginning. You know, that's kind of what I was missing in my early activism years as I was kind of burning out so easily because I just didn't have my roots deep down in the ground. So it was easy to blow over. And that is something I've been working on strengthening ever since. And it's been A non ending journey that's been filled with wonder and beauty, and it's definitely been a a rewarding ride the whole way.
1: I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rosalie Delafore. I will have her links down in the show notes, and I will also have a link to purchase wild remedies in the show notes as well, if you are so inclined. I hope you really liked that conversation. I also want to make a quick disclaimer I'm not a doctor. Rosalie's not a doctor. We're not out here encouraging you to. Treat all of your ailments with natural remedies, but we do encourage you to think a little bit more deeply about how you can opt for natural options when it's appropriate. I hope that was made super clear, but I just want to make it super extra clear. So with that, I hope you loved this conversation. Hope it encouraged you and inspired you a little bit. Thank you again for hanging out with me today, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye!